Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Staycation? Raining? What is oh, a staycation? Staycation. That's a good way yeah. of putting that. But uh, how's how's the weather in Chicago? Here you're dealing with some snow. I've got some. I've got some rain here in Arizona. Which um, is, I think um, you're you're abnormal. hearing you're hearing lies because it was actually it's actually 45 degrees today. The great state of Illinois, up near Chicago, and it was a great day to go pound the pavement, knock on some doors. Um, so it, it was an awesome day had by all by me. Supposed to get a little cold this weekend, though, but we're going to enjoy the day. Uh, we're going to seize it. Carpe Dism. If you ever watched uh, Trailer Park Boys, um, Trey Rock in the Rock Pile. But uh, Roz, we're we're at a we're at a low point in sports right now. We've got NBA, uh, which is not much to talk about. We've got college basketball, but now we're officially done with football. We've got very little baseball going on right now. Um, still waiting on Let's these just say big for, deals. For the beginning, we are not going to be AAF members. We are not. We are not bringing that football to the sporting edge. I did not watch any of the AAF, but I heard it. I heard it got some good reviews. I heard there were some good things going on. So did the XFL, but they went out of business three games later. Fair point. Um, yeah, there, there's only going to be one football for me ever, and it's the NFL. But right. you know, that's over. I don't, I don't need this other stuff. Right. So we're kind of in a little little weird spot here for the next couple of weeks. I, we should have brought Rube on today. Uh, talk about a little golf. Um, saw an interesting story about Matt Kuchar the other day. It kind of kind of upset me, and uh, I'm sure we're going to get some comments from Rube. But um, it was about a tournament that he won back in November, and I don't have all, all the exact details, but he won something like you know one and a quarter million dollars, and he had a fill in caddy. Um, and I think it's pretty customary that you pay the caddy 10% of your winnings. And he ended up at first paying this guy $3,000 after he carried his bag the entire week um, after winning $1.3 million. And I, I was kind of shocked by that. I always thought Matt Kuchar was one of the nicer guys on tour. And apparently he is, but he's just a cheapo. Um, 
And then, you know, there was a couple things back and forth that, you know, he was going to offer him another 15 grand after the guy said something. The guy ended up turning it down. But I really wish I could get Rube's thoughts on this because I thought that was that was pretty horrible of Matt Kuchar. $3,000 and $1.3 million. I mean, show the caddy some love. Am I right, Roz? I'm with you, but that is just showing how sad of a sports period we're in. But that is one of the headlining Headline. stories that really really caught your attention. And, yeah, absolutely. There's a percentage to follow, and that sucks on behalf of um, the caddy that day. But Matt Kuchar, like you said, is a guy I really thought was fun to watch on tour and seemed like a very nice, genuine guy. Um, so this is unfortunate news, and hopefully he writes the wrong in the next tournament. He gives his caddy 20%, you know, paying it forward instead of uh, still frowning upon the past. Yeah, but um, even at fir- first line on CBS cover uh, under fire, Kucher says he was fair to Mexican caddy, um, and the, the guy who subbed in was a Mexican guy. I don't know where Kucher's caddy was that weekend. Um, but other than that, Roz, I think we got we got to dive into college basketball because we're getting ever closer to March Madness, the tournament, the. You know, the start of what will turn around this sports year, you know, this is probably the deadest uh, three weeks, four weeks that we're going to have throughout the entire year. But once we get to March Madness, it's the it's, time of year. It's the time of year that Scottie Pippen thrives on. I mean, has the same comment every year. He gets brought on TV because nobody else knows what to do. And then he just says LeBron's not the caliber of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And I mean, I've heard him say it 600 times, but for that to be that storyline on both Yahoo and ESPN, I mean, come on. Like is, I know it's his time of year. I know he's been as irrelevant as can be. I know no tipping Pippin, speaking of tipping, um, doesn't have much going on in his life right now that he needs to come on and rip LeBron James. But uh, it's, it's Pippin season, and it's one of the worst seasons to be in when you're a sports fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm just just give you a little little glimpse of what we're looking at. The, the top six headlines on CBS. Uh, LeBron makes intentions on team ownership very clear. Uh, Morris agrees to deal with Thunder. Steve Kerr fined 25k for verbally abusing official. Agents push back after NFL pulls combine invitation uh, under fire. The Kucher Kucher one and uh, Bauer accuses Indians of character assassination in his arbitration hearing. Um, so if that doesn't tell you what kind of sports period we're in right now, I, I don't know what does. Um, Not to but, mention Antonio Brown say, have, writing a goodbye letter before the. Steelers even traded him or let him go. <laughs> you know what? I'm uh I think I'm I'm putting Antonio Brown in the same corner of the room that I'm putting Kawhi Leonard in. I used to like him a lot and I don't really like him anymore. I don't like all the drama. From everything I get, he's an asshole. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean I I can't I can't domestic sit abuse on... charges, he didn't show up to court this week. He like the guy needs to he, he's gotten too big for his britches and now is somebody to me I I don't even respect. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing how it seems that he was just he was a very beloved star. I mean, a six round pick, first of all. A lot of people forget that. Um, guy really built himself up to be, if not the best, one of the top three receivers in the NFL year in and year out. I think I don't know, for the past six years I would say at least, um, you know, it was Antonio Brown just doing it with Ben Roethlisberger. But you know what? I think they let him go. I don't think it's a big deal. Um and we've talked about, you know, receivers in the NFL, are they really worth what they're getting paid? And I think we both came to the agreement that they're they're really not. Um, you look at the best team in the league over the past 20 years, uh, they've had a revolving door at receiver. They've never paid one guy, really, you know, any exorbitant amount of money. 
Um, and on top of the fact that they've got one of the best young receivers in the game, um, Juju Smith-Schuster, it's going to be his third year. He could easily, I think, step into that Antonio Brown role and be a top 10 receiver in the NFL. There, there's no doubt in my mind on that one. Right. I completely agree. Juju is definitely not a bad alternative dash person to take over as the number one for your team. Um, but yeah, the Antonio Brown sweepstakes, I hope the Packers don't actually get into it. I've been seeing way too much about it. I need them to stay far away. And if they do get into it, at least give up pretty much nothing for them. Um, Kareem Hunt going to the Browns is the only other NFL news, but I thought you know, I'd give I, you a little I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you about that. On the surface level, I'm not looking at any of the numbers. What's going on? Why would the Browns do that? <laughs> that was my first thought. I... I felt bad for Nick Chubbs, and I might be like I know he was a rookie, and I know not anything's a given in terms of year in and year out performances. But like, he looked good. He looked like you were moving forward, and from what I'm hearing, it was just John Dorsey believing in Cream Hunt, saying that he would have picked up Cream Hunt earlier if he was allowed to. Uh, he he's the one who drafted him in Kansas City. He loves the talent, and he thinks the character flaws are something he can work through. And I, I don't doubt that. I think he that Kareem Hunt's young and mature, but he did do something that by most standards is inappropriate and very wrong in our society. And I think John Dorsey jumped on that a little bit quick and it's only in Cleveland fashion to stir up the news in the most negative way possible. So it'll be interesting. Again, he is a talented, talented running back, but I don't know if it was worth it for ER stances and all that stuff. Right. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that a little more after the break, but if you miss the show, everybody, you know where to find us. Liberty talk.fm and AMFM. What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back. We are finishing up with a little bit of Kareem Hunt information. It sounds like Wiss is on the I hate Kareem Hunt train or this was a bad move by the Browns train. Um, what's got you so heated about it, man? Um, I was heated because Nick Chubb, to me, looked like, I mean, besides Saquon Barkley, looked like the best rookie running back in the NFL. Um, you know, him and Duke Johnson, you know, and him taking the majority of the reps there, I couldn't, I couldn't understand the move. I mean, First of all, you know, say what you want about Kareem Hunt as a person. Uh, I think a lot of people have have a lot of opinions about it, not particularly good ones. But you know, why why stir the pot like this when you have a guy, a young guy, who you know a little injury concern, but had a great career at Georgia, um, had a great rookie season once he got into the mix. You know, after Carlos Hyde got traded, I, I just don't I don't see what's going on. But once again. I mean, if you want to look for, you know, things to do, you know, things to do right as a team, you look at the Patriots, things to do wrong as a team, you know, ever since I started watching, watching football, it's the Cleveland Browns. I mean, it seems like every year um, they're making decisions that are costing them that year down the road. I mean, they basically do everything wrong as an organization. Um, And it looks like maybe Baker Mayfield might have been the first thing they've done right in a long time, but I, I didn't get the move, Roz. I don't like it. Um, I don't like what it says about Nick Chubb's future in Cleveland, um, and and it's it kind of it just pisses me off because I just I didn't think this was a necessary move, um, and we'll see what happens from here. But I, I thought you had a perfectly good running back and a, and a great duo with Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb, and not Kareem Hunt was a great is a great player. I mean, there there's no denying that. Um, say what you want off the field, but with the Kansas City Chiefs, he made play after play the past you know year and a half that he was on the field. But I, I didn't get the move. I didn't like it. 
Um, and this just kind of makes me want to root for the Browns to fail. As much as I like Baker Mayfield, you know, I just I didn't like the move, but it looks like they're they're gonna have a a pretty good draft pick, and that could make that defensive line just a little more ferocious this year. And I'm, I'm looking at this, those guys from Clemson. Right. One, I don't. Even, there's talks that Cream Hunt would be available for them within the first ten weeks. They're not even going to discuss his commissioner exempt list and when when they're going to take him off. And once he's off, it's not like he's going to be back eligible to play. He's going to start his suspension, which I've been told is a minimum of six weeks. So. I don't know. It seemed like John Dorsey was doing something that the most, like most Browns GMs have done, and that's just not thinking straight. I mean, there's a lot of other pieces this Browns team needed to grab in order to continue to move up and forward. Um, and like you said, poor Nick Judge. I think he really proved that he is the back for this team. Again, he's only a rookie, but I did like the project or where it looked like he was headed and where he's going. Um, and like you said, Duke Johnson's also there for relief. It's not like Nick Chubb has to get 40 carries a game. He throws. Johnson and then the passing game and you're giving uh, Chubbs his break so we'll see where it goes I'm never really a Browns fan I, I like Baker Mayfield which I've made very clear on the show but um, not a big fan of this Kareem Hunt move yeah and I mean you're looking at a division that to me I think there, there could be in the next couple of years there could be some turnover here I mean when I look at the Steelers I think about what is life going to look like after Ben Roethlisberger because I think finding a quarterback in the NFL as we as we know is it's tough, it's challenging, and you never know if you have the right one. Um, I mean, perfect example, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. I mean, after the first couple of years, you thought, you know, these are these are two franchise quarterbacks. I'm not so sure anymore. Um, I don't know what, what the projection or the trajectory of their careers looks like now. Um, another guy, Andrew Luck, you know, was great, was hurt, was great last year. But, you know, where is his future? So finding a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, it just it doesn't happen very often, and that's what makes me think you know a Steelers team that was seven two and one looked like they were marching along to the playoffs and ended up missing the playoffs. I don't know what the future of this team looks like. I mean, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are a team that when every year that they go into, no matter how good or bad they are, I just feel like they're going to be good because they're the Steelers. They've got that name. They've had that success. I've always had a good defense, but you know the Steelers. Um, you know the Bengals are. They look like they could be struggling. For a long time here uh, I don't see a huge upside for them if you look at the Browns you know they could be making a move to the top of the AFC East um, you know here in the near future I mean I do like what Baltimore's doing um, and we haven't even talked about the Joe Flacco trade I want to get your thoughts on that um, but Lamar Jackson I mean that I think that'll be a pretty good team for a while and they've got a you know best defense in the league um, I think Lamar Jackson I think he is a franchise quarterback you know I know that playoff game was very rough but I think you know I think those are going to be the top two teams in the AFC East next year. But let's hope that Cleveland can can keep some momentum going and figure it out. But I, I didn't like the move. Um, but I did bring up Joe Flacco. He's going to Denver. Um, Roz, what are your thoughts? Is this finally the right move by John Elway, or is it just another another desperation throw down the field because he really needs to find a quarterback? Now I don't take people's words and run with it, but it was really funny. I was out last night, brought it up to some random person here in Arizona, and they're like, Elway might have been fantastic on the field, but he doesn't know what a quarterback looks like if it were the back of his hand. Like, it's ridiculous. They think, one, I actually am kind of in agreement with that. Flacco, middle-of-the-way quarterback, not really somebody I think is going to carry a team to a Super Bowl. I know he won one already. That was a pretty insane defense that he had in Baltimore when that was happening, but 
I don't know. This this just didn't seem like the route. I mean, potentially draft a quarterback. The Broncos would have had a nice pick. Could have considered taking Haskins or Kyler Murray now, who's devoted his career to the NFL. But Flacco, you know, I, I don't know. I think the Ravens really just needed to pawn him off. I still am not a Lamar Jackson fan. I don't think that was the right move moving forward. But uh, I don't think Flacco is going to be that much better in Denver. I think this is they're trying to find lightning in the bottle twice with the Peyton Manning situation, but I don't think Joe Flacco is going to come in there and win his second Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I can't disagree with you about John Elway. I mean, it has been a struggle in Denver, um, he, but he did get the Super Bowl, so I can't. You know, I, I can only talk bad about somebody so much that you know brought a Super Bowl um, to Denver. But his quarterback selection has been—it's been pretty brutal. Um, you look at Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Case Keenum on the big deal. And now um, this was, I, I think this was kind of a move of desperation. But, you know, sometimes sometimes you need to do stuff like that. Um, you know, Denver, I think they have a defense that's definitely capable, you know, of being one of the better defenses in the league. And you look at their offense, the quarterback position, Case Keenum, was, was very average. And I think he was definitely a little bit below average. Um, just it didn't do enough to lead that team to where they needed to be, and I think they struggled on both sides of the ball because of that. And you look at Joe Flacco, his career so far, um, I think a lot of it's defined by his playoff success. You know, the guy's never thrown for more than 27 touchdowns. He's only thrown for over 4,000 yards. I think it's either one or two times. But, you know, he did win a Super Bowl, did lead the Ravens to the playoffs six out of ten years. Um, in his last 10 playoff games, he's thrown 25 touchdowns. Um, he's had a, a 104.1 passer rating. So, I mean, the guy, you know, really brings it, I think, when it matters the most. And, and I think that's what I – when I think of Joe Flacco, that's what I think about, even through all the struggles and all the times that, you know, the past couple of years it looked like he'd never played quarterback before. When I think of Joe Flacco, I think of him winning that Super Bowl. Um, but he never really lived up to that six-year, $120 million deal. Um, you know, the knee, the back, the hip injuries, you know, Baltimore not getting, you know, into the playoffs his last three full seasons as a starter. So do, did the Ravens make the right decision here? That's another That's another good question. I think they did. Um, I think they saw enough from Lamar Jackson to move forward with him. But we'll see if the Broncos, you know, if, if Joe Flacco doesn't have a good year, John Elway's going to have to answer a lot of questions um, because, like you said, as great as he was on the field, you know his time selecting quarterbacks and being GM of the Broncos has been—it's been interesting the past few years. Um, but you know, Joe Flacco—he if he if he came out had a great year, the Broncos were contending for a Super Bowl. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, I would definitely be surprised, and I'm completely on the other side. I don't think Lamar Jackson has shown any bit enough to be considered a franchise quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. But I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what occurs in the NFL season of 2019 and 2020. But all I know is the only thing I see is a Packers Super Bowl victory. You heard it here first. Packers winning a Super Bowl. It sounds about as just as likely as the New York Giants winning next year. But that is all the time we have here for the Sporting Edge, everybody. If you miss a show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm, amfm247.com. We'll be back after the break. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report. 
bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got the Badger, who writes the hot topics and the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to the Bubbishow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at Bubba at the Bubbishow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at Bubba at the Bubbishow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, the Bubbishow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back, and it is now finally time to just dive into college basketball. I know I've been paying attention. Wits has been here and there on it. We are closer to March Madness, which is my favorite time of the year. I don't get to school like I used to, but uh, I'll try to ditch my days and try to hide out watching TV purely the March Madness channels. Let's go through the top 25, Xander. We'll start with the top five because I am a little peeved with one of the members in it. But we got Tennessee at number one. Still no reason for them to be ruled out. They've won 20-plus games in a row. Tennessee conquering South Carolina on the road by 12. Didn't cover the spread, but still a convincing enough win for me for them to still be holding the top spot. They're going to get Kentucky this weekend. That's the big game I'm very interested in. Kentucky has slipped their way up to five. That's who I have a problem with being in the top five. They are going to be home, Kentucky. I think this is going to be a statement game for either one of these teams. Kentucky can prove me wrong, and Tennessee can prove me right if they stomp away Kentucky, who I find to be a horrendous offensive team. Defensively, they have been playing. They do have the athletes that Calipari typically gets. Um, I just think Tennessee is going to want to put this or make a statement and put this Kentucky team away and really show that they're the superior team when it comes to the SEC. I don't know if you have anything. I know Tennessee's like oddly become one of your teams. You love the players on it. You seem to know the most about Tennessee. But uh, what do you think about this matchup, especially coming up on Saturday or today, actually, since we air Saturday? Right. Um, I think it'll be an interesting matchup. I think Kentucky really snuck their way up here. I remember, I think we talked about them last last week or two weeks ago. They weren't really even a thought, but they find themselves at 20 and four. Um, They lost on a buzzer beater to LSU. This past Tuesday, so I think this will be an interesting game. I think a lot of it's going to have to do with, you know, how will Kentucky defend Admiral Schofield and uh, what's his Williams, Tyler Williams, Grant, Grant search with the G. I whatever, got you, whatever. Grant Williams, Williams. Um, so I think a lot of a lot of this game is going to depend on you know how they play defense on those two guys, but I I think Tennessee is the best team in the nation right now. Um, like you mentioned, they beat beat South Carolina on Wednesday uh, pretty convincingly, um, you know. But they did give up fourteen three pointers, so we'll see. Uh, Kentucky's not exactly the team I would think that would get in a rhythm from deep, but you know, if they do, you know, Tennessee is showing us a little bit that they they could be a little vulnerable um, defensively from beyond the stripe. But I like Tennessee in this game. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to get a feel. I haven't really started my marathon binge watching yet. I usually. Try to do that around conference tournament time. Um, start getting the feel for some of these, you know, players that I haven't really watched, you know, besides on the highlights. Um, but I think this is going to be Tennessee's toughest road game of the year so far. Um, their only top sixty road win this season is at Florida, so they haven't exactly been tested. Um, and Kentucky is not not an easy place to play. 
And I feel like John Calipari's teams, um, you know, if they're not the best from the get-go, they usually keep getting better throughout the year and really hit their stride come tournament time. So this will be tough. I think it'll be a good game, but I do like the volunteers in this one. I, th- I think they moved to 24-1. and one. Love to hear it. Duke, on the other hand, is still number two, and they pulled off one of the most miraculous comebacks in college basketball history, in my opinion, down 23 points with 10 minutes to go on the road at Louisville. They come back to win 71-69 behind Zion Williamson and the Duke the starting five. It was absolutely tremendous. The Duke community is beyond scary. The fact that they could flip the switch like that. I've been praising Duke. I've told you I think they're my tournament team this year. That was a huge win, huge statement of a win for them to come back and pull that off. Only winning by two, but obviously it was close down the stretch. They've got NC State at home, a game I don't think they're going to have much trouble with when it comes to today. Um, Duke Blue Devils scaring people. And they also beat Virginia this past weekend. So Duke taking down the number one team in the ACC from last year, twice already this season. I love the Duke Blue Devils. <laughs> Been hearing that a lot from you lately. Um, it was an interesting game. You know, we've, you know, people thought that Tuesday could be a little bit of a letdown you know, after that big win against Virginia. In the first half, it, it definitely looked like Duke was a little bit hungover from that victory. But those last nine minutes were... They were unbelievable. Um, very emotional two games for Duke. And, you know, like you said, NC State might not be tough, but they do have North Carolina, North Carolina after that. So if Duke can get out of this stretch, I mean, that's a very scary team. It's a scary team to begin with, but if they're, if they're able to rattle off these four games, um, I think that'll make them even scarier. Um, and then, Roz, we're looking a little bit farther down the rankings, uh, what what teams are you looking at? Do you want to finish out the top five? I know we got Gonzaga at number three. Um, any thoughts on them right now? Gonzaga pulling off another 94 to 46 win, just a dominating effort, almost a 50-point spread. Um, nothing to say about them. They're going to play their ridiculous con- their conference, which I think they're either going to have to move at some point or college basketball is just going to have to change the landscape a little bit. They're three. They're going to look to compete. They do have the talent. But again, I never really consider much when looking at Gonzaga. Um, and one year that's going to bite me in the ass, but we'll see moving forward. So I don't actually care. Virginia, 21 and 2, only two losses coming to Duke. Their defense, again, proving to be absolutely efficient. They were done trailing the UNC late in the game, and they came back to win 69 61. Defense really just swarming the ball when it came to UNC. Um, and again, there's two ways to look at that game. UNC, who's now eight. In the country, they're now 19 and five, losing another big game. They don't really beat the big teams. They have obviously a decent record this year, but UNC, a team I think is going to make an early exit, feeling a lot like to me like a Kansas team in years past that took a duck in the second round. But back to Virginia, I think Virginia should be a number one team for number one seed come tournament time. Again, their only losses are to Duke, who to me is the best team in the country. Um, really like Virginia. It'll be interesting to see them get a third opportunity in the conference cha- or tournament against Duke. We'll see how that goes. Kentucky, I told you at five, losing to LSU. It was on the road. I understand that, but they're going to need to beat, they're going to need to beat number one, Tennessee, in order for me to believe they have any shot come tournament time. I just think they're a weak scoring team, and in tournament you're going to need to score. And then, yeah, Xander, whatever you feel after the five, I know Michigan just took a embarrassing loss to Penn State. Um, the worst team in the conference has one Big Ten win, and they won 75-69 
that's going to hurt Michigan definitely down the stretch. Yeah, Michigan looked like they were going to ride off into the sunset as the number one team in the country, and that was a, seems like a far memory. They're outside. Um, I think they're outside the top ten now. Uh, I know number number seven, uh, number six in the in the AP poll. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been a rough little stretch here losing to Penn State. I mean, out of all the teams in the Big Ten, that's a that's a big woof. Um, John Beeline ejected in that game, first time in his career as a head coach at the college level. He was tossed from a game. Um, Michigan's offense ranks thirty fourth in adjusted efficiency. You know, just spiraling downward after that undefeated start. So I'm a little worried about them. We'll see if they can turn it around. You know, I really, I think the most important part is, you know, what do you do going into conference tournament time? And I think Michigan in the past, that's where they've really strived. They've really done well. Um, And, you know, teams can get hot at different points. But I I do have to disagree with you a little bit, Raz, and North Carolina. Um, I think they are one of the best top 10 teams in college basketball. Um, I don't completely trust them but I don't think they're completely healthy right now either. And I think if this is a team, if they can get fully healthy, um, I think they are I think they can make a run. They, they're kind of like a Michigan State for me. No matter where they're seated in the tournament, I always believe that you know, a team with that much talent and Roy Williams at the helm, that they have a shot. Um, and in the, the past few years, they've really been near the top, You know, one seeds, two seeds. Um, so if they snuck in as a three or four this year, you know, I, I wouldn't feel too bad about maybe taking them to make a little run because I think they, they do have the talent, and I feel more confident in taking a team like them, you know, rather than a Houston or a Nevada um, or even a Gonzaga. So that, that's my take on it right now. There, I just have seen them lose some important games this year, and when it comes to crucial matchups, they just have not been performing. Other teams I see, how about Marquette, like, creeping into the top 10? They're now number 10 after a 19-point defeat of DePaul this past week. They'll get Butler at home Wednesday the 20th. They've got an awesome scorer in Marcus Howard. I don't know how far that takes you. I know you've got the Steph Currys of the world come tournament time. Maybe Marcus Howard makes a name for himself, like Trey Young, makes a little bit of a splash in tournament time, but maybe takes a second-round exit. I don't think Marquette has the strongest strength of schedule as well as playing in that conference. I don't think it's one of the better ones in college basketball, but it's good to see them in the top 10 and uh, definitely makes for an easy upset pick, in my opinion, come tournament time. I'd love to see a higher seed take out the Marquette Golden Eagles. (laughs) Not making the Marquette fans very happy. Uh, Shout out to Milwaukee. It was up there uh, last this past weekend. It was a lot of fun. Uh, It's a great little city. Um, But yeah, Roz, you mentioned Marcus Howard. He seems like he's kind of becoming college basketball's version of James Harden. You know, he's got 30-plus points in four of his last five games. Um, He's fourth in the nation in scoring, 25.6 points per game. I think that's more points I've scored in my entire life. Um, So he he is really fun to watch. Um, And we'll see, yeah, this Marquette, interesting team. I mean, I think once you get out of the top three or four, everybody becomes kind of a wild card. Interesting. I'm not really sure right now because – there were some teams like Michigan who were up there who I thought were going to be great, have kind of slipped recently, and then a team like Kentucky has kind of catapulted up the rankings. So we'll see. We'll talk about it more in the fourth segment, but that is all the time we have here for the Sporting Edge, everybody. If you miss a show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm and amfm247.com, and we'll be back after the break. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Sporting Edge. We're here in our last segment, and Roz, we were just breaking down 
NCAA basketball. We are getting closer and closer to tournament time. Um, wanted to go through a couple more teams. I know we kind of went through the top 10, but is there any team, you know, 10 through 25 that you're looking at you think might be able to make a run? Um, a lot of interesting names down there, but, you know, I, I've got a couple in mind. What, do, what are you thinking right now? Any teams, uh, any dark horse teams right now? I know I said it a couple weeks ago, but I do like Wisconsin. who's sitting at 20. I like Louisville at 16. Louisville did take that tough blow and loss recently, but they are a team that is scrapping, have a bunch of athletes and scores. I think Louisville's going to make a little bit of noise in the tournament. Just watch out, especially if they can keep up with a team like Duke. Wisconsin, tough loss against Michigan State. It was on the road, so I don't blame them completely. They need some good road wins. Wisconsin has shown that here and there through the course of the season. Um, but I do like Wisconsin at 20. I think they're a team that shows up in the Sweet 16, maybe cracks the Elite Eight. Ooh, interesting. Um, I'm going with a team that is kind of right outside the top 10, so not exactly down there um, in terms of the rankings. But I kind of like, I'm a, I'm a Boilermaker fan this year. I like Purdue. I know they're only 17 and 7, and they had a pretty, pretty bad loss to Maryland on Tuesday. Uh, you know, eight game winning streak snapped. Um, they were just horrible on the offensive side of the ball at six of 36 from the field Carson Edwards one of the best players two of 13 after halftime um you know but on the plus side I think this is probably Purdue's toughest game for the rest of the season I think they should be a favorite in almost every game moving forward and I think they're going to build up a lot of momentum uh come tournament time and I I think they're a team that could find maybe find themselves you know sitting on top of the Big Ten when March Madness starts, uh, any thoughts on Purdue? You think I'm crazy, or is uh, me and Strafe have something working here? Um, you're not crazy. I don't think they have the depth that they used to have in terms of the Caleb Swanigan years and everything, but they do have potentially the best player in the country on their team in Carson Edwards. Um, they can always make noise. They can shoot. That's a big thing. Ryan Klein has been awesome this year uh, for Purdue. So, Anybody can get hot in the tournament. Purdue's a team that has the make to get hot in the tournament. So I do not think you're wrong. I think the Big Ten being as volatile as it is, you see Michigan slipping up a little bit. You know, Langford's not playing for Michigan State. Um, due to injury, I think Purdue definitely has a case to be made that they could finish at top of the Big Ten. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to keep you updated each week. There's um, more uh, bracketology, seeding, um, more of these games come to fruition. You know, we're going to keep you in the loop with some great ideas, uh, who we think is going to make some noise tournament time. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about one of the best, you know, college basketball tournament experts in history, Wits, uh, you know, won his whole high school pool um, a mere 10 years ago today. Um, but, you know, Roz, I think we got enough of the basketball for one night. Uh, I'm getting really excited for baseball because we got pitchers and catchers reporting very soon. A um, couple things going on in the league this year, and one of them, the pitch clock moving from 25 down to 20 seconds. Um, and I think, you know, pace of play, I was never really that upset about it. I, I'm a baseball player. I like the game. I'm definitely more apt to seeing different things, and, I, I'm you know, it's a, it's a slower game to begin with. Um, but I do like speeding up the pitch clock a little bit. You know, there's some pitchers out there. I'm looking at you, uh, you Darvish, Sonny Gray unbearably slow um hard to watch sometimes because they just they just don't like to pitch the ball um so i like the 20 second pitch clock um i think it'll be interesting to see you know the first ball or the first thing that happens when somebody goes over but 
And any thoughts on the pitch clock? You think this is a good thing for Major League Baseball? I like you. I get like my respect for that I play. I'm never really bothered when I'm at the ballpark. I really just kind of like the flow of the game anyways. And when I'm watching it on TV, I'm watching my guys. I'm watching the Cubs, so it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to be enjoying it because I'm watching my team play. Um, I understand from a business perspective and outside world who don't really like baseball, they want it sped up a little bit, maybe draw in a, little, a couple more fans here and there to sit through a game. Um, but like for you, it just it doesn't really matter to me, and I just hope it doesn't like mess with rhythms of pitchers moving forward. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting. It might take a little bit of getting used to, but I think it's always more fun watching a guy who's you know just kind of catching the ball, throwing it. Louis, Louis Severino, I think, is probably the best in the game at kind of pitching with that sort of rhythm, and it's intense to watch him. He gets the ball back from the catcher, gets right back on the mound, and is looking for the next pitch. So I definitely like that. Um, I'm really excited to watch the Philadelphia Phillies this year because it seems like they actually want to win – they're making a lot of moves. They're making a lot of noise. Um, you know, they haven't spent an exorbitant amount of money yet, but they've been, I think, almost more aggressive than any other team in Major League Baseball right now. I mean, they're facing a gaping hole at shortstop and right field, um, traded for Gene Segura, and also gave a three-year contract to Andrew McCutcheon, who is not the Andrew McCutcheon, you know, of the MVP guy with the Pirates, but he's still a valuable guy to have on a team. Their bullpen needed some upgrades. Um, they brought in David Robertson. They brought in Juan Nicasio. They brought in Jose Alvarez. Um, decent shape at catcher. They go get one of the best catchers in Major League Baseball and JT Real Muto. Um, so I think, you know, if this team makes a move for Harper or Machado, I mean, I think the Phillies instantly, if they're not right now, they become, you know, pennant contenders for a very long time. Um, cause this team, this team was exciting last year. I know they kind of faded out a little bit down the stretch and the Braves ended up taking the NL East, but I mean, watch out for the Phillies, you know, to begin with, but if they land Harper and Machado, they're going to be a very scary team. Right. But again, a lot of this is where is Harper and Machado going to go? And are they going to report to a team before spring training starts? I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, We'll see. I don't know if you have any inklings on where you think they might go at this point, but I find this to be the most absolutely ridiculous thing that the two best players arguably right now, at least at their age, are not signed to a team. Yeah, it's interesting. It just it seems like the game off, you know, free agent market has just changed the past couple of years. And at one point, I, I think I remember talking about talking about it with you on the show probably sometime last year that, you know, Bryce Harper will he get five hundred million. I don't think he'll there was get... talks. It was a Yankees talk that they could fork up the five hundred million, but his and sta- Machado's stats prove otherwise. Like it shows the risk. So I do think they're deserving of a boatload of cash, but five hundred million definitely was taken off the table. I mean, and I don't even think I would be surprised if we saw three hundred. Honestly, um, yeah, I think the yeah. last three hundred million dollar deal was to Giancarlo Stanton. Um, but I think we're just – we talked about this recently too, but I think we're just kind of seeing a changing of the guard in the way that you know MLB teams dish out their cash. I mean, I, I think for a while we were kind of paying for past performance and you know the deal – and not to say you know it was going to happen, but the pool host deal, I mean, they, they, they basically gave him money like he was going to be the, you know, the MVP for the Cardinals that he was for 10 years in a row. You know, meanwhile, 
he still hits a lot of home runs, but I mean, the guy is a lot older now, the Miguel Cabrera deal. Um, so I think you're seeing teams, they don't want to sign these big contracts that are going to be, you know, maybe the front half, a guy who's 26, it looks great. But, you know, when the guy's 32, 33, missing 40 games a year and you're paying him 25 million bucks, um, you know, I think teams are kind of are starting to think twice about, you know, this kind of deal. So this is it's kind of weird that, you know, all this talk about Harper Machado, we still don't know what's going to happen. But there's three guys I'm really looking forward to watching next year. Um, two of them are in the NL East, not, and they're not in the Phillies. Ronald Acuna Jr. and Juan Soto. What an unbelievable rookie season both of those guys put up last year. Um, they look like they're the next up-and-coming you know, guys to go to in the game. Um, Soto Acuna, awesome to watch. And then Vlad Jr., I think he's going to come up for the Blue Jays this year. You know, just an absolute mammoth. Kind of reminds me of watching his dad. His dad, you know, Vlad Guerrero was my favorite player growing up. So it'll be fun to see his son. But, Roz, you got about 10 seconds left. Any uh, final thoughts on the sporting world right now? Just read this insane article that baseball prospectus projection system has the Cubs finishing last in the NL Central. Something I could potentially see happening, but would be a horrible news for me and all the people back in Chicago. Wow, that uh, that is shocking. I did I did not hear that. I don't want to read that article, but at the same token, you know what? A couple things happen. I could see that. Hopefully, it doesn't happen, and the Cubs are competing again for a World Series. But that is all the time we have here for the Sporting Edge, everybody. If you miss a show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm, amfm247.com. We'll see you next week. Be safe, everybody. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Liberty Talk FM.